Well, normally all throughout the book of Isaiah, we hear the prophets say over and over again, remember the things that God has done for you. So remember the good things that God has done for you. And it's supposed to encourage us to, to realize that he's done good things for me in the past and he's going to continue to do good things for me in the future. Well, it's interesting because in, in this passage, the prophet actually says, remember not the things of the past. See, I am doing something new. And what he's saying is that God's going to do something in your life beyond anything that you've experienced before. Sometimes we have a tendency to think that God only works with us in a certain way. You know, that God's able to, to handle us in, in, in a certain way here. He couldn't possibly do, do something else. And yet, he wants to do something new in us. As I was reflecting on the woman caught in adultery, I thought about this, this whole idea of her. Jesus, at the end, says to her, go and sin no more. He's giving her basically a new life of freedom where she can go and experience this new life. And so whenever I'm, I'm praying with hum, Gospels, I, I try to think of like, all right, what is a modern day experience of this? And so as I was thinking about women caught in adultery, you know, it, it really um, it hit me that the modern day experience that we have for this is pornography. It's something that we see and we catch people in the very act of doing. And so I began praying with this as I realized what a, what a big ep epidemic it is in our culture. So one of the websites actually calls it the new drug. You know, like this is the drug that has a grip on our culture. And so the church writes, uh, this has this beautiful document on it, and he talks about how all men and women are created in the image and likeness of God and the love of God in others, and that this pornography damages this image. We no longer look at people as created in the image and likeness of God. We look at them as objects. And it's pretty profound because it goes on then to like talk about every single aspect of every single person that's involved and how it damages us. So first of all, obviously it talks about men and women and, and says that men and women, when they experience this, have a deep sense of shame. And it begins to erode self-worth and begins to distort one's own view of this wonderful gift of sexuality, of marriage, and, 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 and this coming together of man and woman. We know more and more that it is an addiction. You know, both science and personal, personal testimonies confirm that people who start by occasionally viewing it later become compulsively trapped in this cycle. And they feel trapped in the cycle of fantasy, ritual, acting out in despair. Then it goes back into more fantasy, ritual, acting out in despair. Meanwhile, it's having an impact on husbands and wives, on families, on children. There's a, a little section on children and the youth, and it says the young people that are born into this digital age see something graphic, average, by the time that they're 11 years old. And you think about what that does to a child's mind and for somebody that grows up into that in this culture. And it talks about how that exposure can be so traumatic for children and for youth, and, and seeing it can steal their innocence and give them a distorted image of, of the beauty of sexuality, of relationships, of men and women, and, and it can also make them more vulnerable to sexual abuse themselves. 
talks about marriage and future marriage. So those that are married and those that are preparing for marriage. It says that use within marriage severely damages spouses' true intimacy and trust because both the act itself and the viewing become a deception of the lie and usually involves one spouse or the other hiding their behavior. And so now they're hiding this whole ritual from their, from their spouse. For single men and women who are preparing for marriage, it can be more and more difficult to discern vocation to priesthood or to married life or to consecrated life because there's this damage that's been done to their own dignity. And it increases isolation and discourages young adults from undertaking the real work of, of a real relationship, what it means to enter into relationship with people. And so Pope Francis often uses the image of the church being a field hospital. So a field hospital is like this place where there is just absolute war and devastation going on and we're out there and we're like trying to, to do the best that we can to heal people. But he says this beautiful thing. No wound is so deep, however, as to be out of the reach of Christ's redeeming grace. So no matter how bad a sin is in our life, no matter how bad we have entered into that, there's no wound too deep for Christ to enter. I was kind of viewing some of the documentaries of women that have left the industry, you know, and they talk about how horrible their life was while, the, while they were there. The, the physical abuse, the sexual abuse, the drug abuse, what they experienced there, and they became no longer women. They, they, they truly felt like they lost their dignity. And it was so hard for them to leave that. So first of all, the, the, they, they say to those that are involved in the industry, know that you are beloved and cherished by God. And the church reaches out to you, especially those who are victimized by any kind of sex trafficking or sexual abuse or exploitation, especially of children. And he says that the way that we've been that they've been treated is deplorable and unjust. And no matter what they have experienced in the past, remember that you are beloved by God. You have this inviolable dignity, so a dignity that cannot be destroyed and are worthy of respect and love. And then it talks about those guilty of exploiting others. And again, no sin is too great to forgive, but we exhort you to re repent, convert, put an end to any involvement in spreading this. Then to men and women who use. Again, you are beloved sons and daughters of God. Be not afraid to approach the altar of mercy and ask for forgiveness. I know when I'm a priest here in confessions, it's such an amazing privilege to be there with somebody that's caught and trapped in sin and they're desperate and they don't even know if they're lovable anymore. They don't even know if there's a, a possibility to get out of it. And through the grace and the power of the sacrament, they're able to walk out of there with, with new hope and, and opened eyes. Then talks about spouses, you know, that have been hurt by their, maybe their other spouse using. And he says, you are greatly loved by the Father and you are not alone. The church accompanies you with love and tenderness as you confront this sin and its effects on your marriage and your family. You have been deeply hurt, betrayed, deceived, and even traumatized at what you may have found or discovered. And Christ can ultimately heal these wounds too. So seek solace in prayer, 
receive the sacraments and, and Eucharistic adoration. I think what's so beautiful about Eucharistic adoration is we, we gaze at the body of Christ. We, we restore the glory of, of what the human body is called to lead us to. Talks to parents then and says to parents, be, be vigilant, be on guard, protect your homes. Do not let this into your home. And, and watch what your children do. Talk to your children about it, but also educate yourselves on all the different ways they can be exposed to it so that you can be one step ahead of them. To all those who work with the youth, especially here at Walsh, you can have a great influence on the young just by living a model of your life. And you can help equip them with the resources to protect themselves and to walk with others. And then to all, there's this reminder that God created you in his image and likeness. And the church looks at you with compassion and love, no matter what you have said or done. Think about Jesus with the woman caught in the very act of adultery. He looks at her with nothing but unconditional love. And then he says to her, go and sin no more. And I remember I used, to, I used to, when I heard this line in the past, I would think about it and think, man, she better not screw this up. Like, he's given her a new chance, right? Like, it's all on us. But it's not, you know. Jesus has had this amazing, intimate moment with her, and he's basically saying to her, you don't ever have to go back to that again. You're free. And so I think about that, the, the line from the first reading, remember not the events of the past. You know, I think uh, this uh, pornography and the sexual addiction leaves these memories in our mind that seem to never go away. And yet, Jesus gives us the freedom and the power to go and sin no more. So having said all that, I just come to the end of this homily and I just fight, invite everybody to think about how we're all impacted by this, just in the age that we live in. But don't despair. Know that, that there's no sin that God can't redeem. And remember, he's doing something new. He wants to do something new in us that's more powerful than he's ever done before. And just as he looked at that woman that was caught in adultery, he looks at each and every one of us with nothing but love. And when he says to us, go and sin no more, he's giving us the freedom to know that we don't ever have to go back to that. And so as you come to the Eucharist today, I just invite you to ask God for that gift of, of complete redemption, that as we receive the body of Christ, he may be in us and totally redeem us, body, mind, soul, and spirit, so that we remember not the things of the past and we know and believe in the healing and the freedom that the Lord desires to bring to us.